Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, the coffee cup is full, and we have a lot of conversation to get to on today's AOA. Welcome into Agriculture of America. Great to have you along with us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Coming up on our program today, we are going to talk markets in just a second with Brian Irie from Crossroads Co-op. Looking forward to having Brian on the program with us. Coming up in segment two, it is uh, Grain Bid Safety Week. We're going to talk about that and some other initiatives in educating our youth in agriculture with Jana Davidson from the Progressive Agriculture Foundation and Progressive Ag Safety Days. That's coming up here in segment two. After the bottom of the hour in segment three, we're going to talk with DTN's farm business editor, Katie Dellinger. She spent time at the USDA Ag Outlook Forum last week. We're going to talk to her and get her perspective on that and some of her other recent stories as well. And then we'll take a look at news headlines coming up at the end of the show, including what is the latest on a farm bill? Are we going to get a new five-year farm bill done sometime here in 2024 or not? We're going to look at that and more coming up at the end of the show today. First up, though, happy to welcome in to AOA to talk markets with us, Brian Irie with Crossroads Co-op. Brian, great to have you on the show. Hope you're doing well today. I am happy to be here, and I'm doing well. Hopefully you are as well, Jesse. Yeah, I'm doing great, doing great. I'm glad we could uh, get you on the program with us here today, Brian. I know uh, with you at at a co-op, you have some unique perspectives on what's happening in these markets. You can give us a little bit of an end-user look at things as well. And, you know, Tuesday's trade action, we were pushing higher. The wheat markets kind of took off and led us to the upside, and then you know, back here on Wednesday, we're pushing back a little bit lower, taking some profit. I mean, looking at these grains in general, Brian, has anything really fundamentally changed in these markets that we need to keep an eye on right now? Let's just start there. I, I would say from a fundamental perspective, no, it's pretty much status quo. Uh, you touched on a really um, interesting situation yesterday with the wheat market and there were some soft red winter wheat sales made to China here a couple of months ago and fairly decent volume. And apparently the exporter is struggling to get those sales covered. There have been good um, good carries in um, Chicago wheat for some time. So it's been very difficult with the market, uh, with the future selling off the way that they have to um, <clears throat> get uh, producers to sell hard or excuse me, soft red winter wheat. And that is that has really <clears throat> put the um, exporter in a pinch here, trying to get those sales covered. And um, I think the only way it happens is um, up your basis bid to uh, the commercial. And uh, the futures got wind of that yesterday and made a nice little run. It was a great pricing opportunity for producers, uh, both with new sales and uh, current basis contracts versus the March. And we saw a lot of pricing on hard red winter yesterday, which was a benefactor of the uh, the rally on the soft red winter side. So mm-hmm. the unfortunate situation is, is I think those are uh, going to be short-lived rallies and the producer does need to take advantage of them when the opportunity arises, because I think they're going to be far and few in between as we move forward here. Well, and you made a great point there. You know, maybe we saw some of those uh, sales on that rally Tuesday against some of those March contracts. It's that, kind of that time window where we got to either make some moves here with, with March contracts or, or roll them at this point, don't we, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what was uh, that's what really worked to the producer's advantage. I think, you know, both Kansas City and uh, Chicago wheat have a little bit of an inverse to them, which works to um, the producer's advantage if he does have to roll those contracts. But there's nothing like a flat price rally to just get those priced and behind you and move on, especially after the massive sell off we've seen here over the last uh, month or so. Well, and of course, you know, the sell off, a lot of the uh, the managed money, those funds that everyone loves to talk about, they just kind of have a, a stranglehold on these grain markets across corn, beans and wheat, Brian. I mean, and you, to your point, a lot of farmers are undersold in many commodities right now. I mean, what's your take on just how this managed money flow is having an impact? And maybe you have some thoughts from the elevator side you could share perspective there. Well, there's certainly um, they certainly have their foot on the throat of uh, the producer at this point with uh, across the complex with the near record short in corn, 
they've been short wheat for some time, and they've um, recently taken a, a decent long in soybeans down to a fairly uh, fairly decent short at this point. And they're driving the bus. There is definitely no doubt about um, that situation. Any rallies that we get here get uh, get sold off very, very quickly. And uh, I don't expect that's going to change for the foreseeable future. It's going to take some type of a, uh, a news event, a geopolitical event, or a um, weather issue somewhere across um, the grain production areas of the world that to reverse that trend and you just don't see it now the good news is is that there's plenty of room to the upside should they decide to to reverse those positions especially in corn where you know they have a near record short yeah yeah very very true definitely uh, got to take advantage of some of these rallies if we see them here in grains brian on the cattle side i know you're out in the western plains out in cattle country we have a uh, on feed report coming up on friday I feel like this cattle trade looking pretty solid as of late, maybe going to be squared up positions ahead of that report with a, an expected placements number that could be fairly low. Your thoughts on that, Brian? I, um, it's been a very interesting situation. You know, we've, um, the thing that I try to watch is where the cash price is on these feeder cattle and as well as where the live cattle are trading. And, uh, I think, um, <clears throat> You just have to go back to last month's um, cattle inventory numbers, and it really tells the story where you where we're headed with yeah, um, the cattle feeding situation. I think you're dead on. I think you're going to see very very light placements in uh, in February here, with um, that problem just just snowballing here on through late spring and early yeah, no, summer. You look at the calf crop, it's down 847,000 head from a year ago. Uh, cattle on feed right now are actually up, but I think that's just a function of a lot of cattle got pushed into yards sooner than normal with the late summer drought that we saw across um, the West. And uh, that, has, uh, that has helped here on the front end, but we are talking to a lot of yards that are out in this area, and we certainly see it in the schedules okay. that we get going into feedlots with corn. That uh, numbers are down and uh, down as much as uh, thirty uh, to thirty-five percent in some cases at some of the major feeders out in our part of the world. Well, and I wonder too: should we be thinking about some of those feed needs with where corn is at in rel in relation to where cattle prices are, are moving to the upside, Brian? Real quick, uh, should we be thinking about that? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a I think it's a big deal. We um, you know, it's kind of, it hasn't kind of been, it has been a huge issue as you have uh, seen the board sell off here. The, the producers obviously closed the bins up and he is just letting enough corn leak out to fit his cash flow needs. But mm -hmm. I think what ends up happening is, is that we are forcing a lot more bushels of corn into the marketplace into the mid to late summer months and it's going to be coincide with the time frame where cattle numbers are just going to be very, very difficult to come up with. All right. Good thoughts. Brian Irie with Crossroads Co-op. Brian, good to have you on AOA with us. We'll get you back on the show again soon. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jesse. I appreciate it. Brian Irie there with Crossroads Co-op. All right. Up next, we'll talk with Jana Davidson from the Progressive Agriculture Foundation here on AOA. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. 
When news happens in agriculture or when the markets are moving, we've got you covered as your trusted voice in agriculture. The team at the American Ag Network has the knowledge and experience to keep you informed on the issues impacting farmers and ranchers. We've got you covered on air, online, and on demand. Find the American Ag Network on your favorite social media platforms and also follow the American Ag Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We are the American Ag Network. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Get the latest bonus interviews, exclusive content, and more with the American Ag Today podcast. Just search for American Ag Today and give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now for a conversation during National Grain Bin Safety Week. Always important to talk about being safe around grain bins. Jana Davidson with Progressive Agriculture Foundation is our guest here today. Jana, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks for joining us on the program. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, Jesse. Thank you for having me. Well, it is a uh, busy week, no doubt. As I mentioned, it's Grain Bid Safety Week, but also it's National FFA Week. There's just there's a lot of things going on in agriculture right now. And I know this is something that uh, the Progressive Agriculture Foundation, Safety Days, you guys are teaching youth about grain bin safety because, you know, as the title of your uh, latest column states, when seconds count. And that's what it is all about when it comes to grain bin safety. If there are accidents inside a grain bin, right, Jana? Absolutely. So when you talk about seconds, that really is, it's true. Um, I think within four seconds, some, an adult like, like ourselves can be um, up to knee deep in green and within 20 seconds, completely engulfed. So that's how quick an incident can occur. And for many of our young people out there, many of our children, they just do not realize um, how quickly that can happen. And because they're curious, their size, so many different factors. Um, a lot of times when they are um, involved in a grain incident, it usually ends up as a fatality. That's the sad reality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think, too, just looking at some of the latest stats that you shared in your column uh, what was it in 2022, the highest number of grain entrapments in, in what, a decade? That That's a number we don't want to see, right, Jana? It sure is. I think there was 42 total entrapments. So, yes, the largest in a decade. A few other big stats, about 45% of the grain entrap- entrapments um, did result in fatalities, which, again, was um, an increase just from 2021. So from 2022 to 2021, we're seeing a 45% increase in fatalities, which is very scary. And then for us here at the Progressive Agriculture Foundation, the scary factor for us is that seven of those involved youth under the age of 21. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it just really shows us, I know there's new technology out there. Um, There are new practices, there's training, um, there's rescue tubes, there's so many things in place, but it's still showing us that incidents are still happening and that education is so important. Let's talk about the education aspect. What are some things that that you guys are are teaching kids and teaching youth that 
at progressive agriculture safety days, you know, whether they're really young elementary kids, maybe they're kids in high school who are in FFA, for instance, things like that. You know, anyone under the age of 21, like you mentioned, what are some things that you're teaching kids about uh, when it comes to grain bed safety? Well, since our focus is primarily the youth, 4 to 13, and a lot of times we do incorporate those older teens, whether they be in FFA or 4-H, to help us, our message that we really like to send home is that grain is no place to play. Um, so through educating youth, we do some things from showing those potential dangers. We have many different hands-on activities and demonstrations that really incorporate that so the kids learn by doing. Um, we also show characteristics and scenarios associated with grain bin management that they need to, to be aware of. But we never, our goal is to never put a child in or on anything resembling grain because our message is to keep them out. And um, some of the other things that we talk about um, to the children is just, again, about always, not only always staying out of flowing grain, but never walking um, or playing around um, stored grain, never entering a grain bin, a wagon or a truck. Um, staying away from a grain bin while the, um, while the unloading auger or vacuum suction tube is operating. And then in the event of an emergency, you know, I think some, some of our reaction is to, to jump right in, you know, oh, we need to help. Maybe, maybe if I jump in and help, but the, the thing that we need to remember the most is that we need to turn off any equipment that's still operating. So we want to stop that flow of grain. Um, we always want to assume that victim is still alive. And so time is of the essence. And so we want to get them help immediately. Um, and we also want to make sure that the thing we do is calling for help, not jumping into help. So calling for help immediately and never attempting to pull someone out on their own um, is, is really important. And I would say the same. I mean, while these messages are for children, too, I would say it rings true for adults. And, you know, for adults that are working in grain, for our farmers, the, the two critical pieces that they should remember is a always, always be working with a buddy and always making sure that someone knows where you are and what you're doing. And then the second thing is to make sure that you are wearing the appropriate personal protective equipment, you know, and the safety harness and things like that, because we do want our farmers to come out safely. Yeah, very, very true. And I, I think as well, especially with the young, young children, mm -hmm. I, I think about this as, uh, you know, trying not to set up any sort of misconception, because I know when I was a young kid, I had a sandbox, but it wasn't filled with sand. It had old corn in it. And so yes. sometimes you maybe open up some of that misconception that, oh, I'm playing in the corn here. It's fine, but it's not fine in a grain bin. Right, Jana? You're, you're correct, Jesse, and this is a great reminder. So we're gearing up for spring, and we're going to see a lot of children coming to farms. I think millions of children visit, far visit farms annually, whether it's their family or friends' farm, or they're going on a school field trip. We're seeing a lot of that happen. What a great way to educate children about the importance of agriculture, but let's do it <clears throat> in a smart and safe way. And so if you have an agritourism facility or you're going to be welcoming kids to your farm um, for an upcoming event, it let's not replace the sand with grain. It might seem like an easy fix. It might seem like, oh, this is this is going <laughs> to it's not going to be as messy, but we're sending the wrong message. And we even had a parent bring that up at one of our safety days um, in recent years where their kids went through the session and they said, you know what? That I was just at a you know pumpkin patch this past weekend, and we saw the sandboxes replaced with the with the grain and with the corn, and really that's sending the wrong messages. So, you know, teachers are picking up on that, kids are picking up on that, and then as adults, we need to always kind of be sending the right messages and role modeling. So, sometimes that simple fix or, or simple alternative isn't always the best or the safest choice. Well, I know as well, Jana, you were mentioning this to me uh, before we went on the air, an example of how someone took a message from what you guys have taught and what other folks have taught as well about grain bin safety and, and put it into action in real life. Can you talk about that real quick? Yes. So last, this past fall, actually at National FFA Convention, which perfect timing, we are also celebrating National FFA Week. Uh, we had an advisor um, come up to our booth and talk to us. You know, these are the success stories that we just love to hear um, in different moments throughout the year. But one of their students had shared that 
you know, they had gone through a progressive agriculture safety day and they knew how to respond when they saw someone trapped in grain. They knew not to jump in. They knew to turn off all the equipment and they knew to call for help immediately. And because of those messages and that quick reaction, uh, that victim was saved. So that's a story we definitely want to capture and share um, to a larger audience. But wow, I mean, that just shows you right there. The messages are going home and this education really does matter. It does definitely matter. And I know with the Progressive Agriculture Foundation and Safety Days, you guys are a 501c3 nonprofit. Mm -hmm. So you guys uh, take uh, donations in from folks to help support Safety Day programs. Talk about that a little bit here before we wrap up. How can folks get involved with what you guys do, Jana? Absolutely. So, yes, we're always looking for folks that want to pay it forward and send more children on to Progressive Agriculture Safety Days all throughout North America because we are all over and we're continuing to grow. We have about 445 applications in for Safety Days for 2024 alone, and that number is growing daily. So um, if somebody's wanting to give back, um, they can visit our website, www.progressiveag.org. We do have a Donate Now button. They can click on that. They can make a donation in honor of someone or in memory of someone special, and again, help to save the lives of more children. And if someone's wanting to get involved in a larger way and become a, a partner with us, um, we always welcome that as well. So um, they can reach out to us also by by visiting our website. Fantastic. And I know you guys have a lot of great resources there as well. Progressiveag.org, progressiveag.org for more information. Jana, it's always great to have a conversation with you. Thanks for joining us on the program. We look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you, Jesse. Once again, definitely a very important topic, no doubt. Grain bin safety here, something to think about, uh, not just during Grain Bin Safety Week, but every day, every week of the year. Also, we talked about a little bit National FFA Week going on this week, a uh, week where FFA chapters around the country celebrate their uh, National FFA Week and share what FFA is and the impact it has on members every single day. So hats off to all of our past and present FFA alumni, and I know uh, coming up on Thursday, it's Give FFA Day, and Friday is Wear Blue Day. You can find more at ffa.org slash national-ffa-week. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we're going to be joined by DTN Progressive Farmers Farm Business Editor Katie Dellinger. She was at the USDA Ag Outlook Forum last week. We're going to get her perspective on what she saw at the forum and talk about other stories and headlines. That's coming up next on AOA. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted card to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. For AOA, I'm Lori Boyer. Here's a check of what's happening in the markets here on this Wednesday, February 21st. Yesterday, the USDA did report a sale of new crop corn to Japan in the amount of 6.1 million bushels. Corn shipments were 1.1 million more than the previous week and 13.3 million bushels short of the weekly average needed to reach the USDA's 2.1 billion bushel target, which is only 34% achieved. Soybean shipments were respectable at 24.1 million bushels over the weekly average needed to reach the USDA's newly revised target of 1.72 billion bushels, which has been 68.3% achieved. Wheat shipments came in at 4.6 million bushels below the weekly average needed to reach the USDA target of 725 million bushels. That is now 61.4% achieved. 
Milo shipments were impressive as China's almost the sole supporter of the U.S. Milo export program. Export shipments continued to disappoint. There were some opportunities for foreign buyers to cancel U.S. corn and soybean purchases and buy either of those cheaper out of South America. Traders will remain stuck between an overwhelmingly negative sentiment and recognizing things could change quickly when it comes to supply availability and grain flow here today. Among other developments of interest for market watchers is the talk that the U.S. will announce another package of major sanctions against Russia later this week. While the sanctions were said to be in the works with the two-year anniversary of the invasion in mind, officials say additional considerations were added after the death of Russian opposition leader of Alexei Navalny. Also of note here today is that China may be on the cusp of releasing 1 million metric tons of reserved soybeans into the cash market. This rumor could not be confirmed. Chinese soybean imports are expected to drop 4 million metric tons to year-ago levels in the first quarter. That's based on shipping commitments, which may provide justification for the release of these soybean reserves. And to no surprise, all the grains are trading lower, with soybeans exceptionally lower. This is AOA. For the American Ag Network, I'm Lori Boyer. Teachers are dynamic leaders, shaping a new generation. They bring a variety of perspectives from diverse backgrounds, innovating how they teach to prepare students for our fast-changing world. Achieving this takes skill and expertise. They're tireless explorers, creatively discovering a universe of solutions, telling stories, experimenting, inspiring, mentoring, connecting cultures, and connecting with each other. Leading by example. Experience the unique joy of helping students thrive. Teaching is a journey that shapes lives. Are you ready to begin? Explore teaching at teach.org. A campaign supported by the U.S. Department of Education, teach.org, and one million teachers of color. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Coming up next week at Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas, we are going to be on the ground for the show all week long. And Thursday's episode of AOA, we're going to be broadcasting live with our friends at AGI. We're going to learn more about some of their new uh, grain handling products that they will have on display and much more. We're going to talk some education type of things as well with AGI. They're going to be located in booth 3403. That is going to be on the first floor of the George R. Brown Convention Center in Houston, Texas next week. And we'll be broadcasting live there from 9 to 10 a.m. Central Time. So if you are going to be at Commodity Classic next week, swing on by, say hi, check out the uh, the live show there in the AGI booth. And if you're not going to be at Commodity Classic, make sure you definitely catch that special episode of AOA coming up here next week as well. Again, we'll be with our friends at AGI on Thursday at booth 3403 at Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas. All right, joining us now on the program, happy to have her back on the show with us. DTN Progressive Farmers Farm Business Editor Katie Dellinger is with us. Katie, how are you? It's great to talk with you again. It's great to be here, Jesse. It's um, always a joy to join your show. And it's a nice sunny day here in Nashville. We're supposed to have some spring weather and I think my daffodils will be happy. Although they normally get some snow, I don't know if it's going to happen this year. I was going to say, hopefully it's not false spring. I think a lot of us are going through that season right now across it's the country. Always a question. Uh, yeah. Always a question. Always a good question. Well, I know uh, you have been traveling a little bit. And last week you were at the USDA Ag Outlook Forum in Washington, D.C., the 100th Forum. Give us your perspective on some of the things you heard at the forum last week. I know we got a lot of news a lot of updates from USDA with uh, farm income projections and more things like that. So uh, talk to us. What were some of the big things that you heard your perspective on last week's forum? 
One of the things I'm always amazed of when I go to USDA's Outlook Forum, it's probably been about eight years since I've attended one, um, is really it emphasizes the breadth of USDA's mission because they have so much of a conversation there that I rarely sit on because it doesn't really pertain to my, my job particularly. But there's a lot of conversations about food and about all of the different missions underneath USDA's title um, that are interesting or that I think are it, it's very cool to see those all together in one meeting. What I really tracked with Jesse was the, the commodity outlooks, which USDA put out on Thursday of last week, where they gave sort of their initial look at the 2024 crop and some of their projections, and also a lot of the conversation that was happening around farm incomes, because farm incomes, you know, USDA has called for about a 25 percentage point drop from last year. If you compare it to the peak in 2022 and adjust it for inflation, it's about 45% lower as far as a farm income forecast. So that's a pretty dramatic change and sort of the shift from into really the, the drum of a bear market and that mm -hmm. what that means for producers' incomes, you know, was really reinforced by USDA's commodity outlook um, well, while we were there. Yeah, well, in that commodity outlook too, you know, tying in, I know a lot of times, you know, folks like Secretary Vilsack has said, you know, some of these numbers are, are coming down off of record numbers in, you know, 21, 2, and 3, for instance. Uh, but I'm hearing a lot of this talk from around, you know, folks around the country that there's some concern that with some of these drops, there could be some pain points uh, with farm income here as we move into 2024 and maybe even 25. Is is that something you've kind of gathered talking with folks and, and listening to what USDA had to say, Katie? You know, Jesse, you hit on a very important point there, and I think this point was made by, by Nathan Coffin of the Kansas City Federal Reserve, is that, yes, 2024 is going to be tough, but farmers are entering into it um, with a lot of liquidity on the balance sheet from these record years. The real concern is if um, USDA's initial commodity outlooks, which call for bigger crops, you know, um, if that's really true in 2024 and that plays out, that 2025 is going to be a much tougher year because farmers are going to be leaning into those reserves. And anyone that doesn't really have that working capital built up might be facing a bigger squeeze come 2025. And so a lot of the economists I saw really emphasize looking at the farm income numbers and the farm income picture in terms of the long run average. It's really easy to try and compare compare it to the past two or three years when prices have been exceptional, where yields have been strong and overall incomes have been pretty bountiful. It's easy to feel like, oh, a 25% drop is a gut punch. But in the realm of the 20-year average, it's what they're forecasting for 2024 is about average. Um, so it's sort of a return to the tighter margin environment that is well known in agriculture and is more of the historical norm. It just hurts when your recent memory and your recent history is of $6 corn. And now, you know, USDA is forecasting an average farm price of $4.40 a bushel. Um, where, but if you really look at what their ending stocks numbers say, it, it could go lower than that. Um, depending on on what our supply situation looks like, so it is definitely a tougher economic environment. Economists say that that working capital, that financial liquidity farmers have built up, will be a good buffer for this year. The real questions are going to come is if these forecasts for big crop, crops come through, um, what that what that's going to mean down the road. Well, I think all of this ties in with another story you had recently, and this is a little more of a, a real-world farmer perspective here, uh, a story that you looked at, uh, looking at all the competition that our farmers are having in terms of, you know, world prices, Brazilian prices, weighing on U.S. futures, things like that. You had a story on the DTN website that really caught my eye, and I think goes with this well, how uh, long lines at soybean plants and just looking at all that competition with Brazilian prices. So maybe tie that in with what we've been seeing here from USDA. What did you find talking with some farmers in Nebraska? You know, I went on um, X, formerly known as Twitter, one day, and I saw an update um, from Quentin Keneally. It was sort of a sentimental tweet about sitting in, in an elevator line in a place he hasn't been for a long time. Um not close to his farm. He's from Tecama, and this was in Fremont, Nebraska. It was about a 40-mile drive away, and I was like, Quentin, 
why the heck are you sitting in a massive line at a soybean processor when prices are in the tank? Why are you doing that? And he said to me, well, funny story. I didn't con contract to sell my beans here. He's, there was a container shipping company closer to his home um, that said, hey, we don't need these beans anymore. Um, deliver them to this ADM processing facility uh, under our account instead. And so he was he was doing that as they they had asked. And, you know, that same week news had come out that um, some of the um, feeding operations on the East Coast had bought some Brazilian beans um, and were shipping them up that way because it was more cost effective to buy um, from South America than to send U.S. soybeans by container by rail across the United States. And usually there's always some imports in, into those um, feeding operations on the East Coast. Um, this just happened much earlier than normal. And I happened to find the farmer whose soybeans were displaced. And, you know, that was um, contributing to really long lines when you had, I'm sure, all the other farmers that had contracted to sell to this container shipper, um, also going to that processing plant and sort of the shift of beans from a you know, not quite an export, but from a domestic, you know, rail long distance sale to what's probably going to be rerouted into local soybean feed and potentially into that biodiesel market. And so I think one of the things we saw in USDA's forecast in the commodity outlook for 2024 was that they do see a a little bit of a rebound in exports for whole soybeans in 2024, just because prices are going to be lower and that will open up some of the marginal buyers and different folks out there around the world who like U.S. beans, but generally don't buy them unless the price is right. Um, but it also called for higher exports of soybean meal and greater demand for crush. And I think, you know, USDA sees domestic crush demand climbing uh, to about 2.4 2 billion bushels in 2024, really reflecting that renewable diesel pull. So we've got mm -hmm. sort of these dynamics between the global market with Brazil having another record large crop on hand, with the U.S. having a big crop and lots of bushels to sell, but also this different domestic demand in our market. It's It was just one of those stories where I couldn't have picked the better farmer to ask the question to on that mm -hmm. day. Well, it's uh, definitely worth the read. I know folks can get it at dtnpf.com. And uh, just uh, again, I think it, I think it really reflects and ties in with uh, some of the uh, market dynamics and the farm income dynamics that we have in front of us. And, uh, you know, Katie, I think it's no doubt that 2024, to your point, getting back to some of those normal tighter margins, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting year ahead, isn't it, in agriculture? Absolutely. I think a lot of it is going to come down to cost management. I know a lot of farmers took advantage of lower priced anhydrous this fall, put that on. It's part of why USDA is calling for 91 million acres of corn, 87 and a half million acres of soybeans. They do see um, sort of a return to more normal prevent plant anchors and different things in this year. Um, interesting in USDA's early outlooks, they do call for trend adjusted yields, which for corn is 181 bushels an acre, which would be a record if it was um, foreseen and with soybeans 52 bushels an acre so definitely looking at some bigger crops ahead cost management the way the best that a farmer can do it this year will be good as well as marketing grain when they have mm -hmm. opportunities really knowing what that break-even point is and taking advantage when the market does give you a chance is going to be key this year with that, Katie Dellinger, Farm Business Editor with DTN Progressive Farmer. Katie, always good to talk with you. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. Thanks, Jesse. All right, coming up next, we are going to take a look at news headlines. Back with more on AOA right after this. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section. When dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting at homes across the country 
And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. You can't escape a traffic jam. Know what else you can't escape? Seasonal allergies. And you might think you can avoid that coffee stain until... Oh, really? You can't escape a lot of things in life, but you can escape prediabetes. Prediabetes captures one in three adults. There are usually no signs of prediabetes. In fact, most people don't even know they have it. But with early diagnosis, you can change the outcome and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Take action by taking the one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. You might not be able to escape having this song stuck in your head, but you can escape prediabetes. Go to doihaveprediabetes.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Get the latest bonus interviews, exclusive content, and more with the American Ag Today podcast. Just search for American Ag Today and give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA as we take a look at news headlines while the Biden administration is set to approve the petition of eight Midwest states to sell E15 permanently year round. But with one caveat, implementation is expected to be delayed by one year to 2025. 
Now, speaking to ethanol producers and farmers at the National Ethanol Conference in San Diego on Tuesday, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack essentially confirmed a media report to that effect this week, saying, quote, I'm confident that in 2025 we will have E15 across the country, and this summer we will see waivers as we have seen the past couple of summers, end quote. Now, earlier in the day, an ethanol industry official said the administration needs to act. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, said, quote, by law, EPA had 90 days to approve just a few months away from summer, and no one in these Midwest states knows whether they'll have it available. We're calling on EPA to immediately act on it so governors in these states can move forward, end quote. Now, back on April 28th of 2022, governors in eight states requested a change allowed by the Clean Air Act to reject the use of the one PSI waiver for E10, a 10% ethanol blend of gasoline. The action would clear the way for permanent year-round E15 sales in the states. E15 is a blend of up to 15% ethanol and 85% gasoline, according to a DTN article. Now, on Tuesday, Reuters reported the Biden administration was set to approve the state's request with a delay in implementation by one year to 2025. Now, the ethanol industry could overcome E15 fits and starts once and for all. Cooper said if Congress passes legislation to make year-round availability permanent across the country. So, again, we continue to watch what is ongoing in terms of E15. It sounds like um, that the Biden administration is going to approve that petition, but it won't be until 2025, and we'll get some waivers this summer. We're going to keep our eyes on this story and uh, keep you updated with the latest that we hear uh, on AOA. So we'll continue to watch it and see what we find out here as we go throughout the week ahead. Well, Congress faces daunting spending and farm bill challenges when both chambers return next week from their President's Day holiday recess. The House and Senate facing uh, getting the government funded with new shutdown deadlines on March 1st and March 8th. On top of that, trying to figure out a new five-year farm bill. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack shared some of his priorities. First, a budget that doesn't require us to cut staff. House budget appropriation, ag appropriations talked about an 18% cut to our budget. Secondly, maintaining the IRA funding. With its billions in conservation payments to boost farm income. Roughly 85 to 88% of farmers in this country today require off-farm income to be able to keep the farm. But they don't have the income streams that support it. So they have to have an off-farm job. And to me, the key here is creating opportunities for that farm to generate more revenue. Including, Vilsack argues, payments for environmental services like cover cropping and creating wildlife habitats. Now, a languishing farm bill would help, but lawmakers have so far failed to deliver there also. The failure to have a farm bill creates uncertainty, and that uncertainty makes it very difficult for producers to make decisions about their operations to decide whether or not they're going to diversify their crop. Uh, it's difficult for those in the Chamber of Commerce and Economic Development offices across the counties uh, to know whether or not they need to plan for new opportunities. I mean, it, the bottom line is right. you've got to get it done. And Vilsack says it's not just a farm bill, but a rural development, conservation, nutrition, research, and trade bill, a bill he says about investment and stability in rural America. Now, of course, other issues uh, on Capitol Hill are delaying getting to a farm bill and getting that done. The first, of course, the appropriations battles to fully fund the U.S. government, but also things like aid to Ukraine, aid to Israel, the southern border crisis, and, and others are roadblocks to getting a new five-year farm bill done. And disagreements over parts of a new farm bill have many in ag starting to wonder if a new five-year legislation will be able to get passed ahead of the 2024 presidential election or if another one-year extension of the 2018 legislation will be needed. And one of the biggest areas of discussions finding a way to pay for a new five-year farm bill and the back and forth over ag and nutrition programs. Top House Ag Democrat David Scott of Georgia recently said regarding the SNAP program that, quote, because the economy's improved, benefits and need for the program have decreased. The CBO is now expecting SNAP to cost $67 billion less over the next decade than originally expected, end quote. Now, if that savings number is correct from the Congressional Budget Office, some say that could lead to an end of the current stalemate on getting a new five-year farm bill finished. Now, House Ag Chair G.T. Thompson of Pennsylvania recently said in terms of SNAP that, quote, considerable opportunities exist within our jurisdiction to not only fund the safety net, but fund a substantial number of shared bipartisan priorities. And I continue to implore my Democratic colleagues to think in earnest about these priorities, priorities that can be funded without cutting SNAP, 
a SNAP benefit or eliminating the important conservation programs that we've all come to appreciate, end quote. Now, in terms of Thompson's current plan, it apparently ties in with what is called the Thrifty Food Plan, or TFP, which is what determines a household SNAP benefit. Uh, TFP was updated for decades on a cost-neutral basis, but calculations seemingly stopped sometime right around when COVID benefits ended, and some say that is what has led to a huge expansion of the SNAP program. Chairman Thompson has said his plan has been said to put modest guardrails on the TFP update and return it to a cost-neutral calculation. And with some of those internal moves, the CBO is estimated it could free up some $30 billion without anyone's benefits being impacted. Now, the question remains, can moves such as that be enough to bring about a bipartisan resolution to the Farm Bill? Some lawmakers in both the House and Senate have coined the term, and on this show, in fact, that there is not enough farm in the farm bill. But with ag and nutrition so closely tied together, one has to hope that a bipartisan compromise can be found soon. And back to the comments from Secretary Vilsack here we just heard a few minutes ago. Bottom line is we've got to get it done. It is important for rural America. So the farm bill continues to be a topic of discussion on Capitol Hill. We'll be watching to see if progress is made. Of course, again, got to get the government funded first, and that is something that I know a lot of folks across the country are paying close attention to. Well, with that, we are out of time here on AOA Today. Coming up on our next program, Matt Bennett with agmarket.net is going to join us to talk markets and give us some perspective. It's been a little while since Matt's been on the show with us, so looking forward to that conversation. Also, we welcome back John Halsman to AOA to give us some geopolitical updates and talk what is happening around the world. We're also going to look at the state of mental health in rural America with Jeff Winton, founder and chairman of Rural Minds. And we're going to talk potatoes with the Michigan Potato Industry Commission. All that and more is coming up on the next AOA. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great one. I'm Jesse Allen. We'll be back with more AOA coming up tomorrow. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whenever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look. Listen. Live. For more info, go to oli.org.